0: Welcome to Essential Wisdom Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals to experience residency and life as a physician personally as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Essential Wisdom Inspiring Future Female Physicians. My name is Carrie, and I'm excited that you decided to join us this week. Today, we'll be welcoming Dr. Roberta Lockhart to the show. Dr. Lockhart practices pediatrics in Milford, Connecticut. She attended Youngstown State University for undergraduate and earned her MD from Northeastern Ohio University's College of Medicine. Dr. Lockhart completed her residency at Children's Hospital Medical Center of Akron. She is active as a faculty preceptor at Quiddipiac University, where she mentors and trains medical students in early clinical experiences, as well as third and fourth year clinical rotations. Dr. Lockhart is interested in childhood behavior and development. She loves to travel, spend time with her family, and read. Dr. Lockhart, welcome to Essential Wisdom.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate this opportunity.
0: Well, thank you for coming and being
2: willing to share your story. The way that I like to start every interview is just to ask you to tell us about your path to becoming a female physician.
1: Well, that's sort of interesting because um, it sort of happened in some way serendipitously. All my life, I wanted to be a teacher and a librarian, and um, I had, when I was uh, 10 years old, I had uh, some surgery on my hip, and I don't—I have no idea if that's really planted the seed for me or not, but really didn't fall into becoming a physician until my high school years where I thought that, um, you know, becoming a teacher would be great in something in the medical field. So I originally planned on going to nursing school and getting a PhD in nursing so that I could teach. And about the same time I was talking about this, my mother saw an ad in the newspaper for brand new six year bachelor of science medical degree program that was um, stone's throw from where I lived and so she said if you're gonna apply um yourself to get a PhD in nursing and teach why don't you apply for this program? And I said, Okay. So I did and that's what started my medical career because I got into I was in the first um, class of this new medical school program and um, that's how I got into medicine, actually. So it wasn't one of those lifelong, I want to be a doctor type of deals. It was something that, and I can't really put my finger on what it was that triggered my interest in medicine that made me go down that path when I was in high school, but that was sort of the timing of it. Interesting. Did you ever consider uh, other
2: realms for teaching, like teaching science, or, or was it immediately no. like
1: medicine? No. No, it just went from I want to be a teacher librarian to, okay, I got into this new program, I'll give it a try. <clears throat> and if um it works, it works. And if it doesn't, there's nothing lost. Mm-hmm. And um and so that's how I, you know, went into uh went into the whole six year BSMD program. Oh, was anyone in your,
2: Was anyone in your family in medicine?
1: Nope. I had one cousin who was a nurse but they were all uh blue collar steel workers or um teachers and that probably that was really the extent of professionalism um that I was exposed to when I was growing up most of my family didn't um have college degrees they were either like stay-at-home moms or like I said dads that worked in the steel mills um that was sort of how you know we all grew up
2: okay. When you entered that program, what was it like, given that it was six years to do all of college and medical
1: school? So, uh, you know, I think sometimes ignorance is bliss, because um, I went into it <laughs> kind of not like realizing what I was getting into, so um, I think the big difference of doing traditionally was the fact that for for most of those six years, we went to school about 11 and a half months a year, so we compressed the undergraduate part, and we'd go to the med school for nine months and then do some undergrad um, so that was interesting. I guess they're not really knowing what to expect. Um, the other thing was it was a consortium between three state universities, and um, as you had mentioned, I went to Youngstown State, and the way they had it set up at that campus was there were just 14 of us in all our classes. They set up a special curriculum for us, and so it, there was no nobody else, no outsiders um, in those key classes. So that was kind of downside to doing it that way, Um, so I joined a sorority to try to expand my friend group and then learned, uh, you know, met other people when I um, did some electives, which were few and far between, so, and they were only kind of a half a step ahead of us, not only curriculum wise, but also went to medical school, Um, the building was there, it was built on an old apple farm, but it wasn't completed. So we had to wait until our second semester to get down into the anatomy lab, and um, they weren't done with the lecture hall, so um, that's 45 students in the first class, because when we all came together at the med school, we were down in the front of the lecture hall while they were hammering at the back of the lecture hall. So, um, wow. But we were coddled to some degree. They wanted to make sure that we were successful, and so we had really close relationships with all of our professors and with the dean and the provost, so I think that made it nice uh, and, a, and a unique experience um, of going through medical school.
2: Wow. Would you say because it was a new program, that mentorship and that experience with the professors and deans, et cetera, was very important for how you progressed?
1: I think so because they were very supportive, and it wasn't really female-male type of thing. It was because uh, most of our professors were um, were males, um, either PhDs or MDs, but it was just like, okay, we want, these are the, our prime candidates, we want them to be successful. And mm-hmm. so we would go over their houses for dinner, um, you know, they would, um, we would, we would go out with them, um, you know, to like conferences and things. Mm-hmm. So um, it really was kind of a, a well-rounded experience and um i didn't know about like this all this women in medicine stuff when i first started i didn't i figured well i'm here you know what's the big deal but then you sort of got to hear things and when you talk to uh, physicians that were already working on the hospital or practices then it started to come to my realization that maybe there is still some difference and i always refer to the glass ceiling and um and so i became involved uh, um with American medical women's association branch and we it was Small because, and we were a brand new school. Um, And then when I graduated, I became the director of the Women in Medicine program at my medical school. So that opened up some new um, horizons, and that as well, and getting to talk to people in other parts of the country, um, and learning that um, you know, for a lot of women, it still was hard. And we're talking right back in the 1980s. That was a while ago. How do you
2: think? How do you think that's changed till today?
1: today? I think it depends on, in my opinion, it depends on the specialty, I think.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what specialties are women most um, inclined to go into? So pediatrics is one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's it's in general, pediatrics, if you're in practice, I don't feel it, but there's a big difference. I think probably, and I can't speak from experience, obviously, but if, in academia, if you need to publish, if you need to do research, if you need to do clinical, if you have these institutional expectations, I would imagine that it's a little bit different as far as, um, you know, male versus female, uh, because I think there's a lot of things that are just still old school and still mm-hmm. a lot of old ideas, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is that, um Everybody has such a different journey to becoming a female physician, Mm and so that really oftentimes highlights exactly what you're talking about. For example, okay, I'm in academics. How do I maybe balance having a life and also being very productive as a researcher versus being um, a pediatrician? Which I mean, you guys have a huge practice, so you you are very busy. But also, that does change the dynamic of how you're then perceived.
1: Right, and in our practice, we're we're lucky in that. You know, um, even though some days it does feel like you know my practice takes over my life, we can step away from it. You know, we can step mm-hmm. away for an, afterno- an afternoon to go see our kids' football game. We can step away, you know, for a day to go to a conference. So we have control over how um, how much we work, and um, and we all since we all have that control, we all we don't take advantage of each other. You know, so I'm in, mm-hmm. I I think I'm in kind of a unique situation. Where We're the owners of our practice, and we call the shots individually, but cognizant of, you know, not taking advantage of the other partners. Where some people, if you're in a practice that's owned by a company or, you know, if you're in a practice that's based in a hospital, I think the experience would be, you know, much different. It'd be harder um, because of institutional expectations to kind of do the things that we do to step away, you know, to be the things that you want to be at because you have to be at work, you have to produce, you have to be there so many hours.
2: Mm -hmm. For the sake of the listeners, would you share a little bit about your practice and what it looks like?
1: Um, So our practice has been in existence for over 60 years, um, and it was started by um, two um, male physicians, and there's only been two female physicians in the whole history of Milford Pediatric Group myself and um another woman that was there temporarily that left because her husband who's a cardiologist got a job in another state mm-hmm. so um it started out um with two physicians that you know were kind of back in the day you made house calls and um you know you were um available pretty much 24/7 and um and then it evolved into one of the first practices that had Extended hours. So when the two of them um, uh, became popular and their practice expanded, they felt it was better for them to stay in the office and people to come to them um, as opposed to going and making house calls. So they were more available to more people. So they were kind of the uh, um, trailblazers with regards to evening and weekend hours. And um, so it's basically four pediatricians, four full time nurse practitioners. Uh, and it's I always call it like a practice without walls, because even though we sort of each of us tend to have our group of patients um people can go back and forth we see each other's patients when we're on call and um and then we just rotate call we rotate our nights on on call so um and we rotate the hospital rounds, et cetera so it works i mean it's worked it worked when there were six of us doing it it works when now that there's just four of us doing it so um you know i'm pretty lucky in that regard that um you know somebody's out for uh, personal reasons uh, beyond their control uh, and with the rest of us just chip in and take over and because you know that if you're in that position where you need to suddenly take time off or be away that everybody else is going to come to your um, to your aid so that it's really nice and and um in that regard as well but it's a very busy practice and um, We see average, you know, on a regular day, we're seeing well visits. Depending on the physician, we can see anywhere from, you know, 20 to 30 some kids in a day. And then when we're on call, that number can go up to 40, 50, 60, 70 in a day, depending on uh, the time of the year. But in a day, I'm talking about maybe leaving the office at 11 o'clock or midnight. Um, So it's quite busy, you know, and, and somewhat, you know, those somewhat unpredictable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, you know, juggling in home and office sometimes, um, even now, can be a bit of a challenge. Um, so when you're home, you're home, you know, and when you're with your kids, you're with your kids. So I've always thought that it was a quality of time spent versus the quantity mm-hmm. of time.
2: Mm-hmm. Was your practice that, busy when you had kids at home? Yes, yeah
1: I worked just worked just as much then as I um do now. The only difference is uh, when they were younger, I took a half a day off okay um in the week but um we had a a nanny who was about three minutes from my office, so mm-hmm. I would take the kids into her um and uh they would spend the day at her house and it was basically it was just them and um and the nice thing is she was really flexible, so I could drop them off anytime. You know, my husband or I can pick them up anytime, Um And so I couldn't have done what I would, did without a person like her. If they mm-hmm. had to be in a traditional daycare or something, it it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. I wouldn't so have probably more, th- more stress.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, more and more the idea of outsourcing has come up in my conversations. And however that looks, whether it's like ordering meals or somebody to help you with right. cleaning or actually having a nanny, Um, which seems very common. Uh, I think that's been a very important theme that people have talked about.
1: It is, and I think you sort of have to pick and choose where you want to have your focus. I mean, obviously, you put all this time and effort into uh, becoming a physician. That obviously is the main uh, focus on your day-to-day life, but um, it doesn't, in my opinion, shouldn't dictate your life, and, and it doesn't define who you are. I mean, you are somebody who happens to be a physician but um if you you know you have to be able to say okay what 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 am i if i take that md away and so you have to really um kind of define who you are outside of being a physician um and sometimes that takes a lot of effort and thought it just doesn't happen and i think that's where a lot of people get consumed with work and saying you know i'm so busy i can't do this i can't do that and then life kind of passes you by
2: Yeah, I think that's really powerful, especially for people at my stage and even pre-med because, you know, you spend all these years thinking on, oh, what will my career be like and what am I doing? And at the same time, you know, you're doing extracurriculars and things. But oftentimes those are just to, I don't want to say just build your CV, but to build yourself as a candidate for your interests. And so, you know, sometimes you get lost in that. And then at the end of the day... It's hard to sit back and think. Okay, wait, what am I actually interested in besides for medicine and besides for my research interests? As, as
1: right. Fun. Because for so many years of our lives, we just we focus on becoming a physician and everything that's entailed with that. And I think, and I that's what I find with the students at Quinnipiac. I always love to hear their stories and what they do and that, and to hear people you know that are violin players or somebody who mm-hmm. you know coaches football or someone who's in the military that goes away you know, a weekend or a month. Um, I mean, it's just, and I really think that's really important, somebody who loves to write, somebody who loves to paint, um, you know, that the talent show that they had a couple of years ago. I mean, look at all the talent that's like staring us in the face and that people are continuing to follow those those avocations, to follow those passions. And I think that's really important for um, to keep balance and for your sanity.
2: Absolutely. You
1: have to have something you can go to um, outside of medicine.
2: Absolutely, and that actually takes me to a question I usually ask later, but then in terms of using those things to make you kind of sane, it's it's the same idea of then how do you balance, which I think we're talking about, but right. um, what are your thoughts on the idea of balance and how you set priorities?
1: So I think, you know, it's always been my family first um, mm-hmm. and, you know, my practice second. So I was or my career second. So I was fortunate that, again, having a really supportive husband who retired early and having this nanny um, made it easier. So, you know, if my kids were sick um, and couldn't go to school, I didn't have to stress about that. I knew that, you know, my nanny would take them no matter what. And um, so that eased up that sort of pressure, not worrying about what if this happens, what if that happens. We're not Mm -hmm. a lot of people have that. and and. And then trying to, like I said, be present. So when I was home, regardless of how tired I was, always trying to um, to get out of the doctor role and into the mother role. I mean, I'll never forget one time I didn't do that very well. And my young son came up to me and handed me a $5 bill. And he said, Mommy, I'll give you this if you come and play with me. And that made such Whoa. an impression Um, and caught me up short that it was like, darn it, you know, out of the mouth of babes, because I was more focused on whatever it was that I was doing that was more work-oriented, you know, on my afternoon off with him, and not really focusing on him. So he laughed, I mean, he's almost 20 years old now, you know, and he goes, remember when I said that to you, Mom? And I said, yeah, I remember, I remember. (laughs) So you have those moments, and I, I mean, I don't think there's anyone formula for getting that balance, or sometimes, and even now, that I feel like I'm really good at it, I'm really on top of my game, you know, I finish in the office, I leave that behind, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then the next week, it just kind of all falls apart. So I think that that's sort of human nature, and that there's going to be some ups and downs, but uh, some things, the other thing too, is you just have to learn to let go, and not be fanatical about, you know, so not being necessarily fanatical about a clean house, or a clean car, or you know having things done in a certain way and whatever if you can delegate if you can afford it you have somebody clean your house you have somebody do your clothes you know you have somebody you know help to take care of your kids but it there's not one thing one thing that can work for everybody that's the problem but like I said before you have to figure out what what are you passionate about what makes you feel good and even if it's just sort of sitting outside in a rocking chair and staring at the backyard. I mean if you do that for ten minutes, that's okay. And not feeling guilty, I think that's the other part of it that's even hard for me is doing something for myself and not feeling guilty about it. You know, yeah. thinking like I should be doing this for work or I should be doing this for my husband or, you know, I should be doing this for my kids. So that's one thing I still, you know, still continue to work on.
2: Yes, I can relate to that. And I'm sure many people can out there. You know, it's it's really hard mm-hmm. to Tell yourself, Oh yeah, my time with Barry just didn't do whatever fulfills me it is really worth you
1: know. And you have to because otherwise else. you can burn out, you know, or else you can start to resent the life that you've chosen yeah. that you've chosen, you know, as far as your career goes. So and you don't want to get to that point. I mean, being a doctor is hard enough, um, you know, without sort of that burnout factor. And you read all kinds of articles about that and Um, You just have to be cognizant of how much energy you have and how you're going to spend that energy, not only on a daily basis, but, you know, as the years go on. Definitely.
2: When you um, look back at your experience at medical school or beyond that, is there something that you wish you had known when you were diving into becoming a doctor?
1: I just wish I would have known what it was like to be a doctor. You know, if there, yeah. I wish that I would have had somebody to say, well, you know, this is what you go through. This is what your struggles are. Um, but this is what, what you get at the other end. I, you know, like I said before, I kind of went into it uh, blindly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and maybe in some ways that was good. I don't know, you know, but um, I sort of learned along the way. So I think that if I would have had um, someone like a mentor, you know, somebody that not to tell me how to do it or what to do, but just somebody that was had walked in those shoes and could say, yeah, you know, this is what, you know, this is what you might happen, this is what you might feel, you know, um, this may happen on this rotation, this may happen on that rotation, you know, um, you might be sleep deprived, whatever the case may be, uh, just have being a little bit, have a little bit of a heads up. And I had none of that because, like I told you, I had nobody in my um, in my family that was a physician and, I don't even recall any of the physicians that took care of me except my orthopedic surgeon. So, um, mm-hmm. that's why, you know, I wish I would have had some foresight or some in, insight, I guess I should say, as yeah. to what I was getting myself into.
2: Yeah. Along the road for you when you were in training and beginning your early career, were there any specific mentors that helped you?
1: I wish I could say yes, but no, mm-hmm. um, there yeah. really wasn't. I mean, there, um, wasn't anybody that I sort of, you know, idolized or I felt that, boy, she really, This is, I want to become her. This is, you know, or, or a physician like her. Because mm-hmm. um, there weren't, even though I was in pediatrics um, where I trained, there were just a few, um, like, female attendings. Most of them were still male. And, um, and the couple that were, uh, one of them was, like, just as intense as a male. I mean, and she really didn't have that sort of touchy-feely part to say, okay, let's sit down, let's talk about this kind of thing, and um, so there wasn't I, there wasn't anybody that really stood out that kind of helped me charter, you know, my path.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I asked just mainly because I think that the idea of the importance of mentors, et cetera, is something that in my reading and understanding of the topic seems pretty recent. So we've really paid attention to this maybe only in like the last decade or so
1: yeah um, you're probably right because it's now that word is being used, that's kind of more of a buzzword in all careers you know but um and I think it does i think it does make a difference. I think it would have made a difference for me had there been you know somebody that sort of took me under their wing um you know and sort of helped me plot my course like I said before so uh mm-hmm. and you know if if I mean, I would gladly do that for somebody, knowing mm-hmm. what I didn't have, and and wondering if you know my path would have been a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't look back and think of anything that I would have done differently career-wise. Yeah, um, I was happy with all my choices, you know. And like I said, I really I didn't really have a lot of choices in front of me. It was just sort of serendipitous. I did this, and then I got into the residency program uh, that was affiliated with my med school went into practice in the same town, in the same city, so um, I kind of led a shelter in life.
2: <laughs> but I think that seems like, that's kind of how it happens. One thing rolls into the next, and that this, maybe the idea of p- totally being able to plan it out, or have all of these exact ideas is really something that makes us just feel more secure at our plan, but that really what winds up happening is that opportunities roll into opportunities.
1: Yeah. Right, right. And then I think if you try to plan or chart it out too specifically and if it doesn't go that way then yeah. what? You yeah. know, and I think that just can add some some additional stress and um you know, depending on the person can impact in a negative way as far as achieving your goals. So Definitely. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I wish there was some clear and easy answer, but I just think it's you know, being true to yourself, understanding what is it, what is it that you want to get out of medicine. And um, and at the same time, what is it that you want to get out of life? You know, do you want to mm-hmm. travel? Do you want to write? Do you want to play a musical instrument? Do you want to have relationships? Um, you know, where do children fit in if that's what your choice is? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I love to cook, and so I used to take like you know little cooking classes. And when I lived in Ohio, and you know up here, not that it mattered anything, but that was sort of a release. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to be creative in that regard because I certainly can't draw. And, um, you know, and, and that would be um, trying to find a creative outlet Yeah, is really, I think, important.
2: Yeah, absolutely. What do you think is one of the biggest barriers or challenges that you face in your career as a female physician?
1: I think some of it, especially way back when, uh, was still that um, you know, are you serious about what you're doing? You know, Mm -hmm. um, this is a man's world, um, and are you really going to do the same kind of work? You know, you're taking up this residency spot. You know, um, when you are finished, what are you going to do with your career? So that maybe that wasn't overt, but um, maybe a little, depending on the attending or the fellow residents. I, from a couple of them, I sort of felt that way, um, and, you know, also that sort of question in their eyes, do you know as much as I know? Did you study as hard as I studied? Uh, but there was nothing really overt. I mean, during my residency, there were a couple people that really stood out as being very cerebral, you know, very smart um, in that, too, and, um, and you know, and I was struggling, you know, personal life and uh, my, you know, parents' life and, residency, so it ended up, you know, kind of being a little bit of a blur. (laughs) Understandable. (laughs) And that was back in the day where you'd be, you know, you'd be on call and you'd be up all night, but then you had to work the whole next day, um, not with the different regulations that they have now. So um, many, you know, many days you just kind of like went through, which I'm not saying that's a really good way to do it. It was an interesting learning experience and you got exposed to a lot. But I'm not sure being tired all the time is good for your patients, or you know, good for you. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting.
2: There's so many. Different but I think I had the, the same
1: opportunities, <laughs> though. You know. Um, yeah. I didn't go on to um, to uh, for a specialty just because at that point in my life it wasn't in the cards. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I did ask to stay. I was out because I was the chief one of the chief residents, and I was asked to stay on as a n- new fellow. In their pediatric emergency medicine program. Oh, wow. um, but I had enough trailblazing and enough being the cutting edge. And, you know, at that point in time, um, I just needed, I just wanted to finish and get into practice. And yeah. so, you know, had things gone differently, maybe I would have been an ER doc, although I'm not sure that that would have been suited to my personality. Um, or I would have gone on and, and did a fellowship in behavioral developmental Ps, which definitely would have fit my personality. So you know you can't look back and say woulda, coulda, shoulda have. could have should have. Yeah. I've had a good yeah. primary care life. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. What is one of the greatest rewards that you find doing your job?
1: You know, I think it's just uh, um, you know, the impact that you make on um kids and their um their caregivers, their parents, you know, if you have that one moment where you teach somebody something and they come back the next time and they say it worked or um you know, little things when you help them through something and um, they give you a hug. You know, the hugs mm-hmm. from little kids are are priceless. Um, and I think it's that impact that you have. You know, if they're sick, you give them medicine, they get better. Um, you know, if they're troubled, you listen to them and you help them get through things. So I think there's teeny rewards all along the way. And every once in a while you'll have somebody who'll say, run up to me at a mall or something and say, don't you remember me, you know? Um, you know, you saved my child's life and Mm -hmm. Dr. Kipperman, my partner and I were talking about that the other day that sometimes you need to hear that to really understand what it is that you're doing because we, there's little little things that we do on a day-to-day and a week-to-week basis that to us unfortunately become kind of routine but to the person that you're doing it for it's it's that one moment and it makes a much bigger impression so, you know it's nice when people share that with you. So I think that's that's the feedback that you get, and knowing that you know by immunizing the child, you're going to keep them from getting serious diseases. You know, mm-hmm. by um, teaching them to, and their parents, you know these are things to be safe. These are thing good things to eat. I mean, little things like that um, can really impact them for the rest of their life. And that's what I like about pediatrics. It's that impressionism and being able um, to uh, you know, to hopefully have them say, look back and go, oh, yeah, I remember my pediatrician. He or she did X, Y, or Z for me. Yeah. And not that I it's an that. ego thing. I don't I don't want it to come across like it's, well, you know, going I remember because I'm so great. That's not, that's not <laughs> the point. But I think that um, the relationship that we have our, with our patients is very special. Um, and, you know, we enter a part of their world that nobody else enters. And um and I think that's mm-hmm. that's to be respected, you know, but I think that um it also is to be cherished that uh we have that privilege to do that with our with our patients. And um so it's a give and take. You know, it's not just that we're giving, we're caring. Um you get a lot back from, you know, your patients as well. And um and that I think is what, you know, at least keeps me going.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a very special
2: gift. I even just being think- at your practice for a little bit and seeing when you would see the same families over and over again, as well, you—I mean—you really get to know these people through this family yeah. life.
1: That's so cool. Or when you see people you took care of now bringing their kids to you, um, you know, kind of like starting the cycle all over again, um, mm-hmm. is really—it's um, really something special. That's why I'm not sure I would have done well in any other kind of specialty.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the main thing. Um, If you were to give a piece of advice to a girl who's considering if she wants to be a doctor or what kind of residency to choose, et cetera, what would it be?
1: So, I mean, some of my uh, high school patients, you know, have like shadowed me and, you know, we've talked about those kinds of things. And I think that the biggest thing is trying to get as much information as you can before you make that final decision. You know, Mm -hmm. I try to get them in touch with other female physicians in different specialties, have them really sit down and talk if they have family members in medicine, you know, so that they understand the intensity and the, the commitment of what they're thinking about doing. So I think mm-hmm. that, um, you know, prior to medical school is, uh, as I think, a real important soul searching kind of thing. You need to go in it because you just you, you kind of have that calling, as trite as that as that says. Um, but then I think about medicine. There's a whole bunch of different choices that you can make to suit your personality and still be in medicine. So, I mean, you can have things where you don't really have much patient contact. You know, you can have things where um, you do a lot of hands-on. Um, so, there's that's, that's the wonders of medicine. So, as far as picking which one of those areas you go to, I mean, for me, I, always, I love children. And so, you know, getting back to my mom, I used to say, I don't think I can go into anything pediatric. I don't think I could see, um, you know, kids suffer. And she Mm -hmm. said, but, you know, I I see you as a pediatrician. So when I went through all my clerkships um, and ended up the only one I really loved getting up in the morning for was pediatrics. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, moms know your kids better than anybody. So when it was all said and done, that's why I chose pediatrics because that was the thing that inspired me the most, that I was most intrigued with, and that I could see myself doing for a long period of time. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Third year and fourth year in general are complete new experiences, so that's a really good point. Um, so, like, listen to your gut about which one is really drawing you to it and that you get joy out of every day.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And listen to your gut always. You know, I mean, there's, you know, we've known physicians that left medicine um, and one was a psychiatrist and became a chef. You know, somebody else left the practice of medicine and went to work for insurance company, so... Um, you know, because of variety of reasons, they got burned out, or um, you know, some people finally realize once they get into the meat of it, when their career—I mean, they've gone through med school and their residency—but once they do the day-to-day stuff, realizing this isn't really what I want to do with my life. So, mm. I think being true to yourself at different points in time, because what you think you want when you were thinking about med school, what you think you want when you're choosing your residency and what you think you want when you're finally done with your training, your different points in your development. And so you hope that like the answer's gonna be the same, but you never know.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Lockhart, for coming to Essential Wisdom, inspiring future female physicians to share your story. It was such a joy to have this conversation with you, to hear about your heart and the thoughts that you have about your path to becoming a pediatrician. I hope you guys out there who are listening are enjoying this just as much as I am. In this year of 2020, don't forget to tune in next week for another two installments of Essential Wisdom on Tuesday and Thursday. Thanks, everyone, and happy new year.